If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And uh, it was funny, this morning as I was greeting people, they were coming in, and I'm like at the oldest age of the millennials. I don't, don't like look millennial-ish, but I am by definition. And so I'm greeting everybody, happy Easter. And if you're older than a millennial, you all looked at me and you're like, happy Resurrection Sunday. I'm like, yes, happy Resurrection Sunday. But there's a difference between the ways that the different generations refer to this. And I think I figured it out. It's that for those of you who are older than me, you grew up in a time where you had to learn how to spell. Uh, and, and none of us did because we have autocorrect that every time we make a mistake There's a little red squiggly line that tells us that we don't know what we're doing And then it gives us suggestions for how it is that we can fix this and make ourselves appear to be intelligent So I grew up on that. I never had to learn how to spell All the rest of you that were older than me. You didn't have that luxury. You had to learn how to spell resurrection So now the problem is though uh, sometimes resurrection is one of those words that you can mess up so bad So you're texting someone you're like hey Happy resurrection. Oh, that's a bunch of, like, it's not fixing it for me. And you're like, delete, delete, delete. Happy Easter, because that's all you can do. Or sometimes, like, when it autocorrects before, it's like, happy arresting Sunday. Like, no, that's not what I meant to say. But we don't know how to spell resurrection, first of all, which is why we ditched it. And then I think, secondly, is a lot of us don't really know what resurrection means. Not that we don't know what the definition of resurrection is. It's not that we don't know the story of the resurrection of Jesus, that he was dead, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the grave on the third day. But I think a lot of people, even though they know the story, they don't have an understanding of what resurrection is or what resurrection means for our lives. There's a big difference between knowing something and understanding something. Knowing something means that you have some head knowledge about it. Understanding something means that now you have some experience that goes along with that head knowledge. It's like, do we have any marriage experts here this morning? Anybody that you know everything there is to know about marriage? If, if you think that, it's because you're single right now. It's because you are not married. You, I, before I got married, I knew all kinds of things. I had some friends that got married before me, and so they're like, man, marriage is tough, germ. That's what my friends called me. Jeremy, man, like, I don't know, I, this girl I married, like I thought I knew her, but it turns out I didn't. It's hard. Like, we're fighting, we're arguing, oh, man, it's rough. And so me, because I'm a marriage expert, because I'm not married, like, bro, all you got to do is just love your wife like Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. That's all you have to do, and you'll have a great marriage. And I'm, they'll just look at me like, are you an idiot? Because yeah, they know that, but understanding how to love your wife as Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her is a lot different than just knowing about it in your head. Then I got married. And now you know what happens when I see someone that's going through some struggles in their marriage? It's tough, man. It's tough. But you're doing great. You're still married. Just don't give up. Just hang in there. It's a war, I know, but you can do this. Because I used to have knowledge about marriage before I was married. And now I have understanding about marriage. And so it changes the way that I approach marriage. It changes the way that I approach other people's marriages. It's the same with kids. Every one of you who doesn't have kids right now, you know everything there is to know about kids. Like, I used to know everything about children. And this is what you'd do. You would be at Kroger or Meyer. You'd be sitting there. You're, like, you got two things you just want to buy. There's the mom in front of you with 1,000 items and 10,000 coupons. And you're waiting there, and she has 17 kids all in one cart. 
and they're all screaming, they're all crying, they're all grabbing, they're throwing fits because mommy won't get them Tic Tacs and everything else. And you're sitting there with your single food, like Fruit Loops, and you're like, my kids will never be like that. You know what? She just needs to have strict and firm and predictable discipline. If she would just do these things, or if he would just do these things, then they would be parents that would raise children that would be contributors to our society, and we wouldn't have to do all these kinds of things in the Kroger line. Then I had kids. <laughs> and I never knew, like, when you're sitting there judging the parents whose kids are flipping out, they know. Like, you think that they don't know that you're like, oh, looking at them like that? But you are so aware of how much everybody is judging you and your parenting skills at that moment. And now that I have kids and they've done that to me, I have understanding. So now when I see that happen, this is what you should do. Don't judge people whose kids are flipping out. Go give them a hug and give them some chocolate. Like, hey, your kids are all alive. You're doing great. Take the chocolate home. Put the kids to bed. Everything's going to be okay. Because they used to have knowledge about how to be the world's best father. Now I have some understanding. And there's a big difference between knowing something and understanding something. And this morning, I think a lot of us, we know something about the resurrection. It's why you're here. You didn't just like Google, like, hey, I look for a church to go to on Easter Sunday, not knowing that we're celebrating the resurrection today. Like, you're here today because of the fact that you know about the resurrection. You have some knowledge about it. But it's really easy for us to know the story of the resurrection to know that Jesus went to the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead without having understanding about what that actually means for our lives. Now I'm going to take a dramatic pause for a drink of water. Because I have kids, and my kids have learned to share their sickness. <laughs> Not their toys or their candy, but they know how to share their bugs. So, in John chapter 21... I'm going to set up the backstory for it. Is that it's the story of Peter. And what's happened is Peter, he knew the story of Jesus. He knew about the resurrection. Because he was there, he was fishing in his boat when Jesus came and said, come and follow after me. And he left his boat and he followed after Jesus. And now he's seen everything that's happened, everything that's going on through the three years of Jesus' miraculous ministry. He watched him die. He saw the empty tomb. Jesus has actually appeared to them two different times already after his resurrection. But still, at this point, Peter, he just has knowledge about the resurrection. He doesn't have understanding about what the resurrection means for him. But he's about to gain that through this encounter, this experience that he has with Jesus. And it says in John chapter 21, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. So this is basically saying a bunch of the disciples are all hanging out together. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And we'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did, but they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped to work and he jumped into the water and he headed to shore. 
And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. Go, Simon. Uh, so Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. You can tell it's a fisherman that wrote this because he told you just how many fish he caught. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus replied. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter, when Jesus appears to them at this place, and when Jesus asks him these questions, I think this was about the farthest thing from Peter's mind of what could have happened to him. The fact that Jesus would come to the shore and that Jesus would call out to him and say, come and follow me. Feed my sheep. This was something that Peter didn't expect. It was because of the fact that he didn't understand what the resurrection meant for him. You see, Peter, he believed Jesus was the Messiah. I love this. He watches Jesus teach. He sees Jesus heal. He sees Jesus raise people from the dead. He witnesses all of these things that Jesus does. And he has this revelation where Jesus says to him, Peter, who do you say I am? He's like, well, some people are saying you're a prophet, some are saying you're a rabbi, some are saying that you're even Elijah that's returned. And Jesus is like, no, no, not who does everybody else say that I am. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Peter gets this vision, this understanding that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah who's come to take away the sins of his people. Peter, he's there when Jesus comes and he washes his feet. Jesus, the one who's God, Jesus the Messiah, gets down on his hands and knees. The job that was the job of the lowest of all of the servants in the household. Jesus takes on that role and he washes Peter's feet. When Jesus says that I'm about to be abandoned and betrayed and go to my death and you're all going to leave me, Peter, he's the one that gets up and says, no, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. All these other losers, they might, but not me. Because I'm Peter, and I'm here, I'm with you to the very end, even if I have to go to my death with you. I'm never going to abandon you, no matter what anybody else does, no matter what the cost is for me. Jesus, I'm with you. And Jesus looks at him. He says, no, actually, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. 
That's exactly what happens. They go out to the garden to pray. Some soldiers come and they arrest Jesus. And when they arrest Jesus, everybody leaves, including Peter. Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. And, and Peter, he kind of wants to know what's going on, but he doesn't want people to know who he is. And so he's kind of standing on the outside of the crowd. Someone's like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, no, I'm not. I don't even know who Jesus is. First denial. Someone's like, no, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that you're one of his. No, I don't know him. I have no idea what you're talking about. Denies Jesus twice. And then a the third time, there's this little girl. He's like, Jesus, he's like, Peter, Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? He's like, no. And he starts cursing. He's like, I swear, I don't even know who Jesus is. And as soon as he says that, it says that he hears the rooster crow, and Jesus turns and looks him in the eye. And Peter remembers. I said I would never abandon you. I said if everybody else does, I'm never going to abandon you. This is like 12 hours before. Now 12 hours later, Jesus is looking him in the eye, knowing that this one who you've professed to be God, the one who you've professed to be the Messiah, the one who you said that you're never going to abandon, you just denied him three times. And he looks you in the eye and says that Peter went out from the place. He ran away weeping bitterly because of what it was that he'd done. This is likely the last interaction that Jesus had with Peter before he dies on the cross. And so what does Peter do after Jesus dies, after the last interaction he has with him is to deny the fact that he even knows him? He goes back to life like normal. He goes back to the life that he was living before he ever met Jesus. He was a fisherman. And so that's what he goes back to after three years of following after Jesus. And culminating with the point of him denying that he knows him and then watching him die on the cross. Even after the point of where he runs and he sees that the tomb is empty. He believes that Jesus is raised from the dead from the point he was there. Like Joy was singing about this morning when Thomas said, I don't believe you guys, you're all crazy. I won't believe Jesus has been raised from the dead unless I put my finger in a hole in his hands and touch his side. And Jesus shows up and he's like, all right, touch me and believe. Peter was there, Peter saw that. Peter understood the story of the resurrection. He knew it. He knew all the facts. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He's God. He brought the forgiveness of our sins. It even says that, that Peter has received the Holy Spirit at this point. Remember Jesus, like one time he appears, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that every one of us receives when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he takes away our sins. But he still doesn't understand what the resurrection means for his life. Because if he had understood what the resurrection meant, he never would have gone back to just fishing again. The reason he does that is because he knows that the last interaction that he had with Jesus was denying him. And he's racked with guilt. He feels condemned by it. The other disciples, they all know what's happened too. You know what the bad thing is about brothers? Like they remind you of every stupid thing that you've done. 
Right? Peter, he's in a dark cloud. Everybody else looks at, oh, Peter, the one that's never going to abandon Jesus, denied him three times to his face. So he went from being kind of the leader of the band of brothers to now he's the one that's on the outside. He's far from God. He goes back to the place where he's just fishing, doing what it was that he was before he ever met Jesus. And as he's just doing his thing, far from God, Jesus shows up. Jesus tracked him down. Jesus came to the place where he was, even after he denied him. Jesus still came, and he tracked him down, and he called out to him in the boat. And when Peter sees that Jesus has come to him, even after he's denied him, even after he's walked away and he's abandoned him, that still Jesus would come back to him and would call him the, the, the response. I love just like the boldness of Peter again and again through Scripture. He just jumps into the water. He doesn't even like, all right, let's put up our sails. Let's like pull up the anchor. Let's tack. Like he's like, I don't care about you guys. Like there's Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. If Jesus came to me, like I'm leaving everything behind and I'm going to go be with my Jesus. And so he goes there and he swims and he gets to Jesus and they, they have a meal together. It's symbolic of communion, this idea that our sins have been forgiven because of the broken body and because of the blood that was shed. They share the meal together and then Jesus does the thing that the resurrection enabled. It says, he comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, you know I love you. What's Jesus doing? He's restoring the relationship. Do you love me? The relationship was broken because you denied me, because you ran away, because you went back to living like you'd always lived before you ever even met me. You broke the relationship, but I've come here to restore the relationship. Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, you know that I do. And then he says, then feed my sheep. What's that? That's the restoration of the call over Peter. It wasn't just that God came and he restored relationship with Peter. It's that he said there were purposes, there were plans, there was things that I had created you to do. And you walked away from all of those things and you thought you disqualified yourself from relationship with me. And you thought that you disqualified yourself from my plans and for my purposes for your life. But what I'm doing is I'm coming back to restore all of those things to you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. The relationship is restored. Then feed my sheep the purposes, the plans, the intent that I had for you. That's all restored to you too. You walked away from it. You denied it, Peter. But I've come and I've restored all things to you. And this is what Peter ha this is what ha happens to Peter. Is he gets an understanding now. Not just a knowledge of the resurrection, but an understanding of what the resurrection means for us. It's not just that Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins so that one day we can go to heaven where we can know God. It's that he was also raised from the dead, not just forgiving our sins through his death, but restoring relationship with God through his resurrection and restoring the plans and the purposes and the intent of God over every single one of our lives through the resurrection. That's what understanding the resurrection means for us today. And every single one of us, we can all identify with Peter. Every single one of us. And so this is what we need to know from this story. Is that just like for Peter, is that Jesus came calling you. He came. You were created to know him. 
You were created to follow him. You were created to walk with him. You were created to do good works in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. But none of us has lived up to that. We've all done things that have broken our relationship with him. Whether it's that you've never made a decision to follow God, you've just been living apart from him your entire life, You've never known his goodness. You've never understood the resurrection and the power of its restoration and that that's what God's intent is for you, that there's salvation, there's forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Maybe you've never made that decision that you believe that Jesus is God and that he wants to forgive you and that he wants to give you new life and he wants you to follow after him. And maybe that's the way that you've been living your life. Jesus comes calling you. Or maybe, like probably for most of us, we were following after Jesus at one point. We believed that he was the Messiah. Jesus, I'll never abandon you. I'll never, I'll never leave you. But then something happened in our life. And we began to deny Jesus by the way that we lived. Once, twice, three times. And then what happens is we start going back to the way we used to live our life before we ever knew about Jesus. We start becoming like Peter. We just go back to the old life. Like Jesus never happened to us. Like we never had any moment or encounter with him. Like we were never his disciple. It doesn't matter which one of those two you might find yourself in this morning. He came to you. And he comes to you this morning. And he comes to the shore of your life and he's calling out to you. And we need to have the boldness like Peter to say, I'm going to respond and I'm going to leave everything else behind. Like put on your clothes like Peter did. Like you don't jump in naked. You don't, that's not cool. But he came and he jumped and he started swimming and coming after the Jesus who came to him and called him to him. And here's the beauty of it. Like what happens, we get a lot of guilt and shame. Jesus, I was following after you. I knew you. I, and now I'm not. Now I'm denying you by the way I'm living. Like I don't live like a Christian. Nobody even knows that I'm a Christian. Jesus knew you were going to deny him. Just like he told Peter, you know what, you say that you're going to follow me, but I know that you're going to deny me. Jesus knew that you were going to deny him. Jesus wasn't caught off guard by it. He wasn't shocked by it. In fact, before you ever were, he knew everything that you would do. He knew every way that you would fall short. He knew every sin that would mark you. He knew everything that you would do to others. He knew everything that would be done to you. Jesus knew all of that. It says that he had a plan for our salvation that was put in place before the foundations of the earth were created as well. We were created to do good works before the earth was ever made, and he also knew he had a plan for the way that he would save us because he knew before he ever breathed life into our lungs that we would end up falling short, that we would end up sinning, that we would end up denying him, we would end up breaking relationship with him, and that the only way he would be able to restore us would be to go to the cross. It wasn't like Jesus created humanity and we sinned, and then he said, shoot, like now I have to go to the cross to save everybody. Before Adam and Eve ever were, before he breathed that life into them, he knew that if he did this, it meant that he would have to go to the cross and to suffer and to go to the shame of the cross. But still, he loved you enough that before you ever were, he made that decision of what he was going to do on your behalf to save you and to restore you. He knew that you would deny him.
the resurrected, resurrected Jesus, who knew that you would deny him, he's here to restore you. This morning, he's come to the shore of your life. He's come to the place of maybe where you were hiding. He's come to the place of your doubts. He's come to the place of your fears and insecurities. He's come to the place of where you feel inadequate. He's come to the place of where you feel disqualified. He's come to the place of where you feel like you don't deserve Jesus and what it is that he's done for you. But still, he's come all the same. And he stands at the shore. He's just waiting for you. And when you come, he restores you. Why was it that Jesus asked Peter three different times, do you love me? And then said, feed my sheep. He could have done it once, got the, the point across, right? The reason that he did it three times was because in the presence of his enemies, Peter had denied him three separate times. So that Peter would know that he'd been fully restored and so that everybody else knew that he was fully restored. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And three different times said, then go out and do what it is that I made you to do and be who it is that I made you to be. For every way that you've denied Jesus, for every way that you've sinned against him, for every way that you've separated yourself from relationship with him and from his call on your life, Jesus has come and he's fully restored you. Every single aspect of it. And this is what he says after you're restored, after he lets you know how restored you are. He says, follow me. That was the first thing that three years ago that Jesus had said to him. Follow me. And in that three years... There was a lot of growth, there was a lot of following after Jesus, but there came that point of where it was walking away from Jesus. Jesus comes to restore you and once again to say, come and follow after me. And then Jesus does something kind of weird. You would think if you're trying to get people to follow after you, you would say really positive things, like, hey, follow after me, you're going to have a really long life, you're going to have a lot of money, people are going to love you, you're going to get to write part of the Bible. Not a lot of people get to do that. You'll get to. And what do you say to him? He says, when you were young, you got to go where you wanted. You got to do what you wanted. But when you get old, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And others are going to stretch out your hands. And what that stretching out the hands means, that's actually the way that early Christians referred to crucifixion. That your hands were stretched out, and that they were then nailed to a cross. Jesus says, after Jesus restores him, he says, but I want you to know the cost of following me. I'm not just going to say follow me, and then you're just going to be shocked and surprised, like, what happened, Jesus? I thought everything was going to be different. He comes to him and he says, following after me is going to mean for you. He didn't say, like, all of us are going to get crucified. But he says, you following after me, it means that someday you're going to be crucified just like I was. Are you still in, though? 
than Peter was. Peter knew the cost of following after Jesus. And why was Peter willing to do that? It's because the restoration that he had found in relationship with Jesus and the restoration of the purpose for his life that he had found through the resurrection was so great and it was so worth it that he was willing to go through any suffering, to pay any price, whatever it might be. Peter had found something in this life that was so good, something that was so great, something that was so worthy, something that was so much bigger than himself that he was willing to say, even if it cost me my own life, what I found in you is worth it. Jesus, you are worthy. What you have to offer me is worth me giving up my very own life if that's what it costs me because what I have in you is something that's worth it. There's nothing that we can do to put a price tag on it. I think one of the worst things that we do is that we just undervalue the beauty and the worth of knowing Jesus, of relationship with him, of being restored to him, of having the restoration of his plans and his purposes for us. You know, every single one of us is going to die. That's not news. You know that. Like every single one of us is going to die someday. But for some reason, what we do is we try to live a life where we make ourselves comfortable. We try to live a life where we make ourselves famous. We try to live a life where we just build up this monument to ourselves, knowing that someday we're going to die and everything's going to be gone. There won't even be a memory of us. The only thing we're going to have is a little plaque. If you have a lot of money, it'll be a little bit bigger stone that marks the place where you're buried. And like, that's it. That's your whole life. And we say, like, that's it. Hey, follow Jesus. Someday you'll have a really nice tombstone. Like, we're underselling it. Like, that's not what this is about. It's that when Jesus says, come and know me, I've restored relationship with you. It's worth more than the car you could ever drive. It's worth more than the ease and the comfort that you could ever have in this life. It's worth more than any monument you could ever build for yourself. I'm not calling you to live your life for yourself. I'm calling you to live your life for me. I'm calling you to live your life so that others will find life in me. I'm calling you to live your life to pour it out as an offering, an act of worship so that others will know me and they will find the freedom and the hope and the healing that's found only in me. And for this short little time, this 80, 90 years, if you're lucky, period of life that you have here on this earth, there's going to be a price that you have to pay to do this. But one day you're going to step into eternity. And eternity is a really long time. And you're going to look back and say, why did I waste my life on me? Why didn't I spend my whole life knowing Jesus, this Jesus who's come to me? Why didn't I pour my life into knowing him? the one who loved me so much that he would give up his life for me to forgive my sins, to restore my relationship with him, and to restore the purpose and the calling that he has for me. Like, we have an entire generation that's just dying because they want to know that there's purpose and there's meaning in their life. And you can't find it doing anything else to serve yourself. It's found only in living out God's purpose for your life that was restored through the resurrection. This is what Jesus has to offer us this morning. We can know him, and we can live out his purpose for us that's bigger, that's better, that isn't just for 80, 90 years, but a purpose that goes on into all eternity. We can lay our lives down for that. But it all starts with seeing Jesus as he's come to the shore of your life. 
come to restore you. He says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Follow after me. It's going to cost you. But there's nothing else in this world that's worthy of you living your life for. Would you stand with me this morning? Just take a minute, close your eyes, just spend a moment listening to what Jesus has to say to you. Jesus, you said that you walk amongst your church. We believe that you're here. Jesus, I pray for eyes to be opened, to see you, to see you standing at the shore of our life. God, would you open up our hearts to understand the resurrection this morning. This morning, if you need the power of the resurrection in your life, if Jesus is standing at the shore of your life, and this morning he's come to restore relationship, he's come to restore purpose into your life, and you need to say, yeah, Jesus, you're inviting me to follow after you, I need restoration, I'm going to follow after you, Maybe it's the first time you've never done that before, or maybe it's that there's been that period like Peter of denial of Jesus, and you need restoration of your relationship and the call over your life. And this morning, would you be so bold just to raise your hand as you're standing saying, that's me, Jesus, come and restore me, work the resurrection in my life, Jesus, thank you, thank you for those hands. Jesus, for every hand that was raised, and Jesus, even for those who didn't. Would they be overwhelmed by your peace? Overwhelmed by ways of your affection poured out over them. Jesus, like Paul prayed, that you'd open the eyes of understanding of how great, how deep, how wide is the breadth of your love for us, Jesus. Relationship with you restored, God, for every person, that they would know you deeply, that they would know you intimately, that they would walk with you every day. Jesus, for every person that needs restoration because they've walked away, Jesus, we pray that they would know you, that guilt and condemnation and shame would be put away once and forever, and that instead they would know you, your approval, your love, your forgiveness poured out on them, your resurrection being demonstrated inside of their life. And Jesus, for restoration of your call, of your purpose over their lives, Jesus. Thank you that you won that for us. Thank you that you came to us when we were far from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're just going to be on the outside here, on the aisles. Hey, this morning, if there's anything that we can pray for you about, please 
let us pray for you. If you made a decision to follow after Jesus, come, let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Uh, and also, if you made a decision to say you want to follow after Jesus, we have a free resource for you that we want to send to you and get into your hands. Uh, you can stop by the, the Guest Central and we can get your information. We have a book we want to send you or you can text us, uh, I Decided, to our text number 97000 and we'll be able to send out a book called 10 Steps Towards Christ by Jimmy Evans, which is just an incredible book of how to start really walking out what the resurrection means in your life. But we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get that resource in your hands. Um, so go out there. Uh, come let us pray for you first. Then go drink some coffee, make some friends, and come back next week. I encourage especially if you decide you want to follow after Jesus, there's going to be a million distractions. There's going to be a million things that are going to want to make you get back in your boat and like push off and go back to fishing. Don't do it. Fishing, it's kind of fun, but it's nothing like following after Jesus. So come back here. Be a part of the Radiant family. Let's really go after Jesus together. God bless. We'll see you next week.